Praise you, Jesus. You came, you put skin on, you became one of us so that we could rejoice in you. Praise you, God the Father, because you were the one who was honored by God the Son coming. And Lord, you are going to send him again. Jesus Christ has come and he is coming. And we praise you and we worship you and we have great pleasure in you because of that. God the Spirit, we invite you to be among us today. Open our hearts and our minds so that we will know you better and therefore love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. In my early elementary years, I lived on Norwalk Boulevard, a very busy street in Los Angeles. Now, my dad would go several times a year down to Tijuana, and he'd buy booze for himself, and he'd buy fireworks for me. In my early elementary years, bottle rockets and firecrackers and M-80s were a frequent cause of entertainment for me. Also, experimentation. I did all kinds of things with them. In fact, I remember this one day in particular, I wanted to find out what was inside of firecrackers, so I took apart a firecracker or... 10, and I made this pile of leaves right underneath this tree on this very busy street where anybody could have been watching, but nobody was. And I put these firecrackers in this pile. Now, mind you, early elementary years, testosterone-damaged brain Even so, the enormous ball of fire that rose to heavens and threatened to consume the tree above me caused me to understand, I'd better put this fire out. So at the risk of burning my pants, I understood I needed to get this fire out. And that experience caused me to have a healthy respect, if not fear, for fire. For a day or two. But I understood then, and I understand now, that playing with fire is dangerous. Using fire is essential to civilization. So today, what I want to do is I want to handle fire. I want to use fire. I want to go into Scripture and examine a teaching that is fraught with danger. People have fallen off both sides of the horse on this one. And be mindful that the danger and explosions occur. But our passage is in God's Word, and we must therefore seek to understand it. Today, we are going to learn to feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. Let's look at our passage today in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the wine will burst the skin, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. John Piper and Richard Foster both agree that this is the most important statement on fasting in the New Testament. Therefore, this morning, we're going to look at this passage and do a very brief defense for the practice of the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, because fasting is dangerous, as I said, people have fallen off both sides of the horse with this spiritual discipline. Because fasting is dangerous, and if used wrongly, can cause great balls of fire threatening nearby trees and souls, Today we want to dispel some of the mystery today, though not all of the mystery. The mystery is a part of what God does for us and through us and to us when we fast. Instead, we will see God rewards fasting. Because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on earth can satisfy our souls besides God. God must reward this cry because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Christian fasting is Christian because first and foremost, it is a recognition that Christ is come. Therefore, the pleasure. And Christ is coming, which is a painful pleasure. So feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. Let's proceed carefully here. We'll start in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Observers around Jesus noted that Jesus wasn't fasting, and they wanted to know why. Now, we'll see as we go through that this is because fasting with the coming of Jesus has fundamentally changed. For both John and the Pharisees, the Christ had not come. Now, understand something here. For true Yahweh, for those who actually trusted Yahweh for salvation... Fasting represented mourning. They were sad for their sins. For Old Testament believers, and make no mistake, John's disciples and at least some of the Pharisees were in fact believers. They fasted first and foremost as mourning, as repentance, as turning away from their sins and turning towards Yahweh. And so fasting centered around or represented brokenheartedness. Now listen, as Christians, we can identify with this. It remains true today. Our sins cause us grief. And our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is come, the cross is finished. We mourn, yes. We repent, yes. And we do so with joyful, expectant hope. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And this is why Christian fasting, our fasting, while we are fasting, we are also feasting on grace. We are feasting on God's undeserved 
power in this case to forgive us our sins and enable us to fast well. Because at its core, the why of fasting has changed. Yes, Christian, we fast in light of our sins. And at the same time, the exact same time, we feast because our sins are forgiven. Repentance, yes. But repentance is not the most important part of fasting for the Christian. The reason Jesus' disciples could not participate in the fasting of John the Baptist and the Pharisees lies in the phrase, already but not yet. Christian, right now, right where you sit, right when you sit, if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, you are already in the kingdom of God and therefore have at your disposal all the benefits of the kingdom. Because Christ is come, you have all these benefits. So rejoice! And because Christ is coming, we don't quite have all of these benefits fully experienced. So there remains pain in our pleasure. And frankly, Christian, how could we expect anything less? Of course that's true. That's how we experience all of life. You are forgiven. You know you are forgiven, but you don't fully experience this forgiveness yet, do you? You have the Spirit in you. You know, Christian, that you have the Spirit in you. But you're not yet fully powered completely or solely empowered by God the Spirit. You are sanctified. You are already like Christ. And you know you are already like Christ. But you and I both know that we are not yet fully like Christ. And we know that we won't be until He returns. Therefore, fasting remains. Because there exists this already not yet paradox, this, this tension. The tension is why we continue to fast. Because we are saved and we know that we are saved, our fasting is different from John and the Pharisees. There is pain, yes, and there is joy, there is pleasure. So feast on the painful pleasures of fasting. But as we come to this passage, at this moment, when this question was asked, the bridegroom Jesus remained with his disciples. He was there in person. And so there was therefore no fasting. Which is what Jesus says next in verse 19. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So they want to know why Jesus is doing what he's doing, or in this case, not doing what he's not doing. So in defense of his action, Jesus offers a counter question, one of his favorite tactics. Jesus turns the Pharisees' question on his head, and he asks them, do wedding guests fast while they're at the wedding? The obvious answer is no, of course not. 
But we need to dig deeper if we're going to understand. So let's take this question apart. Number one, the Messiah in the Old Testament was not pictured as a groom. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that the Pharisees didn't get it, Jesus, at this point, because in a sense, Jesus was coining a new idea. The Messiah is married to his bride, the church. This was new on this day. Now, of course, in the rest of the New Testament, we find this image used often enough, and it it becomes crucial in the book of Revelation. And we look at this, and we're like, woohoo, praise Jesus! And it causes us much pleasure. But number two in this particular verse, 19, Jesus is claiming to be the groom. And the groom is the one who causes great pleasure for his bride. He is the one who claims to cause great pleasure for all of his followers. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is come and Jesus is coming again. We rejoice, we feast because God put skin on and resided among us. He became one of us. He is the cause of our joy and one day He will return. So rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. But He isn't here fully among us right now. Well, not at least as we would have him. Not for as long as you and I continue to pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. And that pain remains in our hearts. Therefore, fasting. We have joy building in us. Amen. And we fast. We afflict our bodies so that we remember this is not our home. And oh, my my friends, this is a mystery. We, We don't get it. Anyone who claims to have God in his back pocket, anyone who claims to comprehend God and all the mysteries of the Bible is lying to you. Alone, just this mystery, just the mystery about fasting we are dealing with today is enough to give us pause and to cause us to recognize, oh my goodness, I don't know. And so, we have to feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. So here's the point of Jesus' counter question and what you and I need to understand Fasting merely as an expression of sorrow is not appropriate to the Christian. Fasting merely as an expression of brokenheartedness is not at the heart of what it means for the Christian to understand and practice fasting. A new age is dawn. The bridegroom has come. We have joy and peace with God that is completed that was not known fully in the Old Testament. Jesus is the bridegroom and He has come and He is coming again. You see, John the baptizer's fast was a preparation of judgment. Jesus' fast is a joyful certainty of pardon and one day of unmitigated endless peace of God in the Holy Spirit. So we feast, we rejoice at the painful pleasures of fasting. 
And unfortunately, this is not all the story. Verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Or should I say, then we will fast in that day. We remain in sorrow. We remain in sin in our experience. We remain in desperate need for the glory of God to overtake our weakness and sinfulness and to overcome us by the floodwaters of the Jordan. There remains plenty of ground for fasting and repenting and humbling and rejoicing. Okay, let me get very practical here. Because when fasting, you need some good advice. There are at least two other brothers in this church that I know that fast regularly. Talk to us. We will help you. Because hunger pains are not fun. If you fast, you will have hunger pains. And no sane person likes pain for pain's sake. Furthermore, it takes time. Listen, listen. It takes time. It takes experience fasting before you get to the point that you recognize when you are hungry and you recognize when you merely want something to eat. This is one of the very first lessons you learn as you experience regular fasting. And part of the pleasure of fasting, I'm being brutally honest here, Part of the pleasure of fasting is this recognition. I don't have to obey my body to eat chocolate-covered raisins just because I want to put something in my mouth. I can have pleasure instead knowing that God is infinitely better than all the chocolate-covered raisins in the world. And my pursuit of Him, my fasting, as it were, this diligent seeking of God during this time of, oh, I want some chocolate-covered raisins, is pleasurable. Because I am finding Him. Even, my friends, when it doesn't feel like it, because right now I'm having hunger pains. Verse 20 is referring to this time that from this perspective, was still to come. We know that after Christ rose from the dead, after He rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, He taught His disciples about the kingdom of God for 40 days according to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Then Christ was taken away from them. Ten days later, Pentecost came and the giving of the Holy Spirit in fullness. Now, the giving of God the Holy Spirit is the reason why fasting is feasting to the Christian. It is God the Holy Spirit that helps us make fasting feasting. Fasting, make no mistake, is painful. I, part of me doesn't like it. And it is pleasure. Not pleasure in a masochistic sense, Fasting is pleasure because it reminds us both of what has been done and what is to come. The fact that Jesus is come and that Jesus is coming again. And frankly, I am always in need of such reminders. 
And fasting reminds my body in a way that is hard to deny. I am not home yet. But I'm going home. And Christ is coming to get me. Therefore, in my fasting, there is feasting. Jesus Christ, come quickly. And in the meantime, feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. Now, allow me a moment of preaching. If you are a Christian, you are a supernaturalist. You believe that there is a God and that God can do whatever He says He will do, including honoring your Christian fast. Do you believe this? Furthermore, if you are a Christian, you are a supernaturalist. You believe that there is a God and that we must trust His promises to act for us when we seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Jeremiah unpacks this a little bit more to be a little clearer. God says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There are few ways more powerful to add an exclamation point to your seeking God than fasting. So long as you remember that fasting is a fire and you remember Richard Foster's words, Although Jesus does not say, if you fast, neither does he say, you must fast. His word is very simply, when you fast. So let's address the question of legalism. Will you accuse me of legalism if I say to you, like Jesus, when you fast? Some of you will. Okay, so let's address legalism. Now, it would be legalism if I said to you, you have to fast or you can't be a Christian. That would be legalism. It would be legalism if, number two, I said you have to fast like I fast or you can't be a good Christian. That would be legalism. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm just simply relaying what God has said, His promises and His commands. Instead, what I'm saying is what the Bible says. Fasting, like Scripture memory, for example, is one of the very powerful tools in the hands of God the Spirit to help you become the man or woman of God He created you to be. And in your Spirit-filled heart, you want to be, you long to be, and you should diligently seek to be. Which brings us to how Jesus wraps up this discussion. He tells us to feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. And so we get to verses 21 and 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, then a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the wineskins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Fasting has changed from Old Testament brokenheartedness to New Testament celebration. It's replaced. Fasting is not wrong. Fasting is not evil. It's modified. It's renewed. 
The new cloth or the new wine is the joy we have in Jesus in our secure relationship with God. And the old cloth and the old wine skins are the old forms of a relationship with God that because Jesus is come, have now passed away. They're no longer in style as it were. We have new clothes. What are these forms? Forms, for example, like merely mournful fasting or forms like offering sheep in the temple. God's people used to worship like that. But now Jesus has come. The bridegroom has come. So instead, the new garment, the new wineskins, help us to see that there is continuity. Yes, we still fast. Yes, we still offer sacrifices, just not at the temple. But these, these, these attitudes and actions of New Testament believers, those who know that the bridegroom is come and that he's coming again, are filled with joy and pleasure that Jesus' words on the cross are true. It is finished for those who trust the promises of God for them in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so you can rejoice while you fast if in your fasting Christian you only mourn If in your fasting you are only brokenhearted, then you're spoiling your garment. Yes, there's pain. No one wants those hunger pains. But we should anoint our heads and put smiles on our faces, wash our face so people don't know that we're fasting. Instead, we're fasting unto the Lord and we're giving Him the glory. But if instead all we're doing is mourning, then we are neglecting our blood-bought garments of righteousness won by Christ when Jesus is come and He died at the cross and He rose from the grave. If, Christian, in your fasting you neglect the forgiveness that is already yours, then that garment will not appear nearly so splendid. Your near ones will not think Nearly so much. Wow, that's beautiful. Instead, they will see that you're trying to earn grace from God and that will turn your fasting into a great ball of fire of destruction. If, on the other hand, if in your fasting, Christian, you are only brokenhearted, you are destroying the only source of joy, the source of joy in your relationship with God, the wine will be spilt If, Christian, instead you add celebration, the pleasure of knowing what Christ has done for you has changed everything. What He has done has changed everything. Christ is come. And so, you remain a sinner. And you are a forgiven sinner. Then, that new garment, those new clothes, the new wine will be known as glorious. And cause great pleasure both to yourself and to those near you. Only in this way. Only in celebrating the forgiveness that is already yours. Only in feasting on the painful pleasures of fasting will you avoid burning on the dangerous, flammable material that is practicing this spiritual discipline. Which brings us to the question, why is fasting like fire? Fasting, like any other Christian spiritual discipline, can cause us to rely on ourselves. That's one side of the horse we can fall off on. If you rely on yourself to force yourself not to eat, 
not to use entertainment, whatever your fasting is. You might allow your pride to destroy your soul even more completely than if you merely ate your way through a thousand pies. Christian fasting is only good if it makes us rely on God. If it causes us to think that we are better than other people. Or if it causes us to think we, that, that God owes us something because we didn't eat this morning. If we fall off on either side of this horse, then we will burn more certainly than if we use dynamite under our front yard tree. Our efforts will fail and will cause both our own souls and those near us to suffer worse than some stinging fingers because of a firecracker. Now, we are ready to understand Now we are able to pursue God in our dependence on Him so that we will understand John Piper's comment. God rewards fasting not because we're so self-disciplined, but God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing else on earth can satisfy our souls besides God, not Food, not entertainment, not anything else. Our souls cry out to God and God must reward this cry. He must respond to this cry because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And oh, oh, the 12 o'clock hunger pains are real. And they remind us that only God satisfies Only God satisfies. The pleasure in fasting is not that you get 12 o'clock hunger pains. The pleasure in fasting is that these 12 o'clock hunger pains drive us to the only one who can satisfy. And this brings us to our question. What is the purpose of Christian fasting? The primary purpose of all things is worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, 31, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether you fast or not fast, do it for the glory of God and you will be fulfilling that purpose. Another purpose is to intensify, or as I said earlier, put an exclamation point on our prayers. Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And fasting puts that exclamation point there. I am seeking you and you alone, O Lord. Another purpose for fasting is to enable us to identify our idols. Oh my goodness, this is such a big part of fasting. Paul says in Philippians 3.19, there, the people who are not a part of Christ, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shames with minds set on earthly things. And fasting is what makes us realize that we cannot depend on the God of our belly. Instead, fasting seeks to divorce this from us, to identify my idols. And so Paul is able to say in 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching for others, I myself should be disqualified. So we depend on the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. But Dallas Willard adds 
a very important comment about this. Willard says, the discipline of fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves and does it very quickly, I might add. Fasting will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much of our peace depends upon the pleasures of eating chocolate-covered raisins. If nothing else, though, it will certainly demonstrate how powerful and clever our body is in getting its own way against our strongest resolves. And trust me, fasting for a day or two or five is going to take some resolve. So depend on the Spirit. The final purpose of fasting we'll look at today is to remind ourselves that God feeds us. Or if God doesn't feed us, we will starve eternally. Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We need to understand this fundamentally. At the bottom, it is the Lord who feeds us. And because it is the Lord who feeds us, for those who are trusting the promises of God for them in Christ, we turn with our heart in homesickness to God. The birthplace of Christian fasting is homesickness for God, says Piper. Christ is come, therefore rejoice. Christ is coming. And you know He's coming, and you know He is not here yet. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. I am homesick. I need you, Heavenly Father. And that, that homesickness. That realization that Jesus is come, but that realization that Jesus is coming, that is why we fast. So feast at the painful pleasures of fasting. Now, let's understand something. Every culture, every religion, many philosophies, and now even Western medicine in general is using fasting for all kinds of purposes. Fasting is by no means Christian as an activity in any meaningful sense of the term, unless that fasting is pursued Christianly. Unless in our fasting we celebrate that Christ is come and we allow a mixture of pain and pleasure as we anticipate that Jesus is coming. Again, certainly there is repentance in our fasting. That remains just as it was for John's disciples and the, fa- the Pharisees. But at the same time, we know that our sins are already paid in full at the cross. Certainly there is a longing. There is bitterness. But we know Jesus is coming. Therefore, fasting is sweet. My friends... This has been a dangerous fire. So in your walk with Jesus, depend upon him and get good advice. Find people who have experience. I didn't bring them with me, but if you want to read an excellent book, John Piper's book, The Hunger for God, uh, it was the first book I ever read by Piper. Uh, Another great one is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And even though fasting isn't the most important point that Uh, Dallas Willard is making in his book, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, 
you know, the spirit of the disciplines, the spirit of the disciplines by Dallas Willard, the celebration of discipline by Richard Foster, and a hunger for God by John Piper. And find people who will come alongside you, and not to be legalistic, but to love you through it. You will know God better, and therefore you will love him and trust him more. And Lord, that is what we want. We want not to be legalists. We don't want to lord it over others that we think we're somehow better than others. And we certainly don't want to imagine that you owe us anything. But Lord, instead, we want to cry out with a heart that is both in pain because their bitterness remains, but also in pleasure because we know the joy is here now and is to come. It is already here, but it is not yet fully experienced. Lord, let us have this paradox in our hearts and live this life because you are glorious, because you came and died on the cross and rose from the grave, and because you are coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.